University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Brain Games is a show on National Geographic, and in one episode, um, they create a bike that's handlebars are turn the opposite direction. So in a sense, a reverse engineered bike. So if you turn the way you are used to turning, right goes right, left goes left, it actually does the opposite. <laughs> and so they asked a couple select volunteers and they gave them a short track to go from one end to the other. And they said if you could make it to the other side without putting your feet down or falling, there's a $100 bill waiting for you on the other side. Well, let's watch and see what happens. Here you go. You ready? Yes. Let's do this. Whoa. That's I think you got to start again. Really hard. All right, go for it. <laughs> All right, so why is making this reverse bike so difficult? You know, you, you're mentally, cognitively, you know I've got to do the opposite of what I am used to doing. And the fact is that cognitively speaking, it's been implanted in your brain to do things a particular way. Your brain is trained to steer right, so you go right. If you steer left, you go left. And in this moment, your brain can't change and fix what's going wrong. As we begin our conversation this morning, I want us to see that this is a bit what it's like to actually follow Jesus. It goes against what we are used to doing, what we are trained and expected of us. We are inherently prepared to go out on life's journey in one particular way, but Jesus is inviting us to step out in faith and follow him in a new way. And our text for this morning is Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Now, in our text from last week, uh, we saw that Jesus did something impressive. He fed 10 to 20,000 people with a loaf, five loaves of bread and two fish. Or fishes is actually if it is multiple different types of fish, just so we're all clear. He's exhausted. He was exhausted before he came into the story. He's definitely exhausted after the story. And so he sends the disciples out on the boat to go to the other side of the Galilee, and then he goes up to the mountainside to pray. Now, before we give into our text, that is a powerful lesson to us. If Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, needs time to slow down, to retreat, and to pray, and to center on God, what does that tell us about our faith journey? Matthew 14, 22 goes like this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. 
But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Not to be confused with the band from the late 1980s, this is the Jesus Lizard. It's also known as the Green Basilis. Ron's got a video for us to see. Now, what sets this lizard apart from all other lizards and makes him the coolest kid on campus is that this lizard can actually run on water. Now, what it comes down to is the speed for his size, the, the webbing on his feet to spread out across the water, and it's not like he's running across a lake or a pond. He can run over probably, most likely, about five seconds at a time, but it's a pretty impressive thing to watch. You know, for many of us that grew up in the church, we've heard this story a gazillion times, and so it loses its impact. But let's just pause for a second and think about, Jesus just walked on water. <laughs> Stop and think about that for just a second. You've got to love how Jesus approaches the situation. He sends the disciples out of the boat. The water starts to pick up a little bit. The disciples, not sure what's happening, maybe even soil their pants a little bit by thinking there's a ghost walking on the water. Jesus does this, and I think what we see in this moment is that God has a sense of humor. In my theology, God has humor to him. This is the same person that created the duckbill platypus, the pink fairy armadillo, the naked mole rat, and the narwhal. Just in case you don't think God has a sense of humor, these four creatures point that out to us. So you've got to believe that Jesus is grinning just a little bit as he starts to walk in the dark on the water towards the disciples. And what's fascinating about this moment is that Jesus sets himself apart from any expectations the disciples still might have had of him in this moment. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He is the Savior. Who else can walk on water among us? And outside of the amazing thing that Jesus is doing, the disciple Peter should catch our attention. Immediately after Jesus identifies himself, and as if he didn't miss a beat, Peter wants to join Jesus on the water. I mean, how many of us would be willing to jump out towards someone that we just seconds ago thought could possibly be a ghost? But this is Peter. When we think of Peter, we think of the one that Jesus said he would build his church upon. This is Peter who would lead the early church and bringing thousands of people to come and follow Jesus, who stood in the face of persecution, who, who faced off against unbelievable odds. This is Peter who did the unpopular thing and began to reach the Gentiles, saying that this was not just a faith that was centered on Judaism and its practices. This is Peter in his old age as he was arrested and sentenced to death out of deep reverence for Christ, requested that he might not die the same way as Jesus, and so Peter was crucified upside down. This is Peter who sees the Lord on the water and walks out to him. And as one author put it, in this moment of transcendence, Peter sees that all this terror is actually the path to the kingdom. This is the way. If this is the kingdom, I want to be a part of it. Peter teaches us a, a challenging lesson about following Jesus. Sometimes it takes a water route. Look at verse 30. But when Peter saw the wind, 
He was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. This is a powerful moment. And I love this story because Peter, in so much courage, jumps out of the boat But then he jumps out of the boat and then has a moment of reality of what he's just done. What is it about the wind and the waves and all this? He starts to recognize, I'm an idiot, (laughs) and begins to sink. Jesus' response to Peter should, should give us pause to chew on for just a second. You see, as Peter begins to sink in terror, he cries out to Jesus to save him, and Jesus pulls him out of the water and says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? The literal, tra- literal translation is, you trusted so little, why did you waver? Now consider this. When you hear these words from Jesus, what tone do you hear in your mind? Do you hear it as a reprimand from Jesus on Peter? How you of little faith, Peter, how could you doubt? Or do you see it as a word of challenging encouragement. Oh, you, Peter, why did you, why did you not believe so small? Why, why did you not believe that this could happen? You see, the tone is not described by the gospel. Therefore, could it be that the dialogue from Peter and Jesus teaches us something about our understanding of God? of how we hear these words, if we view God as a God of condescendence and disappointment, do we hear Jesus' words in such a way? Or do we hear these words as surprising encouragement? More importantly, what about the other disciples who are doing nothing? Why are they not the people of little faith? But Peter does teach us something hopeful that I want us to settle into for a few minutes. Namely, that this is another story that should surprise us that Peter ends up being the one that leads the early church. Because Peter, more importantly, is often presented as not the brightest crayon in the box. Peter inexplicably suggests walking on water to Jesus. It wasn't Jesus' idea. It was Peter wanting to do what Jesus is doing. Therefore, was this arrogance or a a simple act of faith of a heart longing to be in union with God. And the great thing about Peter is that this is a profound moment that we see so many other moments in Peter's life of, let's just be honest, stupidity. (laughs) It's Peter. It's Peter along with James and John who go with Jesus on the mountainside in the story of transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appear. And instead of Peter sitting back and taking in this moment, Peter, as always, has to interject a question or a thought. And so not knowing what's happening in this situation, asks Jesus, should we like build you a shelter or something? Peter, just don't talk. Just be present in this moment. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter uh, gives this incredible statement about Jesus. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But then Jesus quickly tells the disciples that in order for all of this to come into fruition, that he must be arrested and killed. And then Peter contradicts himself by saying, well, Jesus, I'm not going to let you do what you think you need to do as the Savior and Messiah of the world. See, Jesus was once talking about forgiveness, and Peter asked, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone? Like seven times, maybe? And Jesus said, no, it's more like 70 times seven, and then just you're starting to warm up in that moment. 
When Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, it's Peter who doesn't understand what Jesus is doing and refused to let Jesus wash his feet. And then when he kind of gets it, he says, well, then can you bathe my whole body instead, Jesus? This is Peter. This is Peter who we should be surprised that Jesus chose to build the church upon. Because Peter often shows that there is room for stupidity in our faith. And if we're honest, Jesus' followers have had a pretty well-rounded history of stupidity. Let's start with the early church that told the Gentiles that unless you fulfill these Hebrew expectations, you can't be a part of the church. And as Christianity became the official religion in Rome, it was a choice given to conquered foes of either you are baptized here or you are murdered. Well, I know which one I'm going to pick. Baptism, can we do it a couple times? It's the impact of Martin Luther's influence that ignites this thing called the Protestant Reformation, Luther's legacy, but is tainted by the fact that he needed the backing of the ruling elite in Germany, and so he gave his fingerprint and thumbs up to the slaughter of 100,000 peasants in the peasant revolts. You see, one of the most loaded and dangerous phrases is the Bible says, Because with it comes a history of nonsense and gag-worthy justification of inhuman things. Slavery, Jim Crow laws, hatreds, violence, lynching, murder, house bombs, assassinations, and discriminations in the American South, apartheid, South Africa, European colonization across the continents, and American isolationism. You see, the Bible says has oftentimes been backed by a lot of stupid things that we have done in the name of God. You see, the danger in giving flawed humans the word of God is that we oftentimes can twist it and turn it into something of our liking. And as I was thinking about room for, well, sometimes stupid moments in my life, I was reflecting on those things this morning. Let's get started with the silliest thing. I remember one time I was dating a girl and I used the God card. In other words, God told me that I think we should take a break, and uh, I just want to be faithful to what God desires for us, you know. And I, at some point, have stood my ground on theological stances, including and not limited to biblical literalism, the endorse, not endorsing women in ministry, the alienation of certain kinds of people from church membership, and Western missionary colonization methods. And we've just started to crack the lid on the the theological stances that I thought were so important, but I was so wrong on. As Oscar Wilde put it, whenever a man does something thoroughly stupid thing, it is always in the noblest of motives. You see, if we're all honest, we can recall things that we used to believe, things that we used to do in the name of our beliefs, but in retrospect, feel pretty silly afterwards. In addition, there are moments still in our lives where we, we make things and do things in the name of God that maybe is not exactly what God desires for us. I mentioned in the past that I love to cook. I love the blending of spices, the art of smoking meat, the joy of seeing it work. And I've learned several new cooking methods over the years to challenge myself to go outside of my comfort zone. But I also have had some blunders. The most remarkable blunder that comes to mind was back years ago when Jennifer was sick. And you know when your stomach isn't settled, you kind of just need something to give it a base. 
And so uh, she wanted some mashed potatoes. So I boiled the water, I mixed the dry potato starches in, I tossed in some salt for flavoring. Jennifer picked up the spoon, she took a bite, and then she had the most disgusted, horrendous look on her face. And she asked, how much salt did you put in here? Uh, Whatever the box said, I think a, a tablespoon. A tablespoon for a cup of potatoes? That's what you put in my instant mashed potatoes? I had just given my wife the equivalent of a salt lick with a little bit of potatoes with it. All because I misread the box. You can learn to braise meat to perfection and still be able to ruin instant mashed potatoes. See, this is where I think we should highlight the other disciples in the story. You know, the ones that stayed in the boat. The interpretation of this story has all too often focused on Peter's blunder, or that that phrase, we just got to step out of the boat for Jesus. See, the other disciples, what I believe is they were stuck in being right. It's in the rightness of knowing what happens when you get out of the boat. The rightness of knowing that Jesus is doing something out of the ordinary. The rightness of taking the safe route. The rightness of not using an ounce of courage so they can at least say that they were right after Peter starts sinking into the water. What about our faith? Is there too much rightness in our faith? As we consider our personal theological convictions and how they apply to our our living and our acting and our business and our political persuasion and our ethical stances and our way of seeing others Are we always right? And if we're right all the time, have we ever considered that that we lack a a cognitive ability to recognize our rightness in everything with, with no question or no altering of our convictions and stances? What does that say about our capacity to learn and allow God to shape us and to experience the grace of God? I want us to stop and consider if we have been wrong at anything when it comes to our faith? How about as our faith applies to our life? How about as our faith applies to the way we see the world? How about and how our faith applies to the way that we see and treat other people? Have you got it wrong in the last week, in the last month, in the last year? Might it be that if we have not got it wrong, that all too often, We are like the disciples waiting in the boat, unwilling to let Jesus shape us in a great moment of transformation. See, what I want us to see for this morning is not that we have stupid moments in our faith, because I will put myself at the front of the line, and I'm sure there's a thousand other people who said, yeah, we'll put you at the front of the line too. But that what we see, it's not about getting it right all the time. It's about growing The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, Peter had to leave the boat and risk his life on the sea in order to learn both from his weakness and the power of Jesus. If Peter had not taken the risk, he would have never learned the meaning of faith. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. Unless a definitive step is demanded, the call vanishes in thin air. And if people imagine they can follow Jesus without taking that step, they have deluded themselves. So in this process of journeying with Jesus, 
We have to learn and grow. And growing is not knowing about God and knowing everything we need to know about God and being right all the time. It's about knowing the God that we are journeying with. It's not about what you know. It's about how you learn and grow as you journey with Jesus. And Peter understood this. He, he failed and learned again and again. And that's why Peter went from being a simple fisherman, presented in the Gospels oftentimes as an ignoramus, and became the leader of the early church. So I believe that there is room in following Jesus for our stupidity at times. It's okay that you and I are not right all the time, not right about what we believe and how our beliefs are justified into our actions, but it's about experiencing the grace and mercy and transformation of God to recognize that maybe we didn't get it right and how we might be able to do it different the next time. You see, in my stupidity, I see the grace and love of God that reminds me that I am human. That doesn't excuse my failing, but it brings grace to my soul. And I think the more we can become comfortable with our shortcomings, maybe even laugh at ourselves at times, the more honest and mature we will become in Christ. Grace and introspection will transform us into something better, more mature and humbler. We had an interesting conversation around the dinner table last night. It began because my children were putting quite a remarkable resistance up to eating tomatoes and mushrooms. Now, the irony for my girls is they both love salsa and spaghetti sauce and ketchup and the like, but something about raw tomatoes, they will put their foot down and go no further. This, of course, raised the question from my girls to my parents of my dislikes when I was a child, which include Brussels sprouts and squash, because who wants stewed, mushy squash, steamed cauliflower, and English peas. And when you're a child, our, our parents have the right and the responsibility to get us to try things that are new and unfamiliar. Will children put up a fuss? Yes. Will there be some things that your kids just aren't going to like, but at least they tried it? Absolutely. But no one wants to raise a child that becomes an adult that only eats chicken fingers and mac and cheese. You see, we will never know what new things we will discover unless we simply try. And the last thing I want us to learn from this text is that Jesus is inviting us out of the boat. Out of the boat of changing our way of thinking and living. What absolutely baffles me always about this story is that Jesus said to Peter, you of little faith, I've always wanted in my version of the story to Jesus look at those other people in the boat and say, no, y'all had such little faith. But the point of this story is to encourage us, to equip us, to inspire us that if we tend to be like the other 11, that we might recenter ourselves on Christ and step out of the boat to follow the pathfinder. You see, as we grow, we become less like the other 11 and more like Peter. As we grow, we come to see that following Jesus is about getting out of the boat. Is it wet? Yes. Are there waves? Absolutely. Will it be easy? Most certainly not. Is it something that we are used to? Fairly certain that isn't the case. But is Jesus there? Yes. Growing is about moving beyond what we like, what we are right about, what we're comfortable with, 
to follow where Jesus is leading us. Stepping out of the boat might be difficult. We might not expect that a water route is where Jesus is calling us to, but Jesus is calling us. We draw our attention back to the reverse engineered bike for a moment. You know, the more you think about it, the more frustrating it gets. Our brains should see the difference and make the adjustments and ride that silly bike the right way. But I guess Master Yoder was right when he said, you must unlearn what you have learned. When it comes to doing something new, it requires a reconsideration of the way that we think and the way that we act. Then and only then we'll be able to ride the silly reversed-engineered bike the right way. We are inherently prepared to step out on this journey of life in one particular way. But Jesus is inviting us out of faith to follow him in a new way. Will we follow?